Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you died on that cross, Lord, and you didn't only die, but Lord, you rose again from the dead so that we could be saved, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that, and that's why we're gathered here this morning, Lord, to praise you, Lord, and to celebrate the work that you've done. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we'll do one more song.
seated and I'll turn the time over.
What you got, Addison? Abe, can you, you think you can do it? <laughs> All right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. A one, two, three. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you.
Well, good morning. Good to have you all here this morning. It uh, feels like it's been a little while. Of course, last week we uh, did not have service at all. Previous week I wasn't here, so um, good to be back. Good to have everybody here. I appreciated your song selection this morning, Jason. Um, that song, it's about the cross. I don't know if we've ever sung that here before, but it's been uh, a favorite of mine for a while. And uh, a lot of people wouldn't consider that a Christmas song, but I, I think it's it's a great thing to remember. I don't just think so. I know it's a great thing to remember that while during Christmas time we think about and celebrate the birth of Jesus, that's ultimately not what it's all about. We got a, a uh, someone practicing up here for you, John. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Phil would mind that too badly. Sometimes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we could use some uh, lessons from that side, too, I suppose. <laughs> Let's see, what was I talking about? Ah, Christmas. Well, we got another one coming. Hey, stay here. <laughs> That's the goal, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're after your job. Hey, go, go sit by Mama, okay? You gonna, all right, you stay here with Dad, then. Um, the... Uh, the story doesn't end with Christmas. We don't worship the babe in the manger. That's not where it ended, thank God. It's all part of the story and an important part of the story. But if it ended with the baby in the manger, then our salvation is nothing. If it ended with Jesus living a good life and, and teaching and performing miracles, our salvation is nothing. If it ended on the cross, our salvation is nothing. But it didn't end there. And that song, It's All About the Cross, alluded to that. It alluded to the resurrection, the stone being rolled away. It's the complete picture, that complete story of Jesus' life from birth, death, and, and resurrection. It's the whole story. That's where, that's where our salvation is. Without any one of those phases, or if it had ended any time before the resurrection, it would mean nothing. So, so often, we just celebrate one aspect of it, and that's, that's not necessarily wrong. We celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, uh, Easter time, we celebrate his death and resurrection. I think it's, it's important for us to remember that we don't just look at one aspect of Jesus. We don't just uh, remember him as a baby because it didn't end there. And so that's my uh, challenge to myself and to each one of us over this Christmas time is to remember that that, that was only the beginning. That wasn't the end. And uh, I think that that song was a really good fit to remind us of that this morning, Jason. So thank you for that. We're doing things a little bit differently this morning for the rest of the year or uh, 
uh, which I guess is just this Sunday and next Sunday. We'll see how it goes from there. But we are not doing our uh, fellowship meals after church. I'm just trying to cut down a little bit on whatever uh, exposure we might be uh, presenting ourselves with uh, the spike in COVID cases and that type of thing. Just trying to be a little bit extra careful here, especially around the holidays. So, uh, so both this Sunday and next Sunday, at least, we'll not be uh, serving a meal after church, but we do have coffee and some snacks in the back. Please help yourself to them. And then also today, uh, we'll be leaving out a little bit early. We're actually putting the time limit on Phil this morning. So there is a baptism service at Windsor Christian Fellowship that I know many of us want to go to. So we're going to try to wrap things up here by about 1130. And, and uh, if you wonder why the place empties out so fast after that, that is the reason why. And as far as I know, everybody, anybody is welcome to uh, go over there and, and witness the baptism service as well. So I know many of us are going to that. So that, that's happening uh, directly after our service here, which is why we're letting out at about 11.30. So keep uh, everybody in mind. Let's be praying for everybody, especially over this Christmas season. There's a lot of uh, traveling. There's going to be uh, people that aren't going to be here for the next several weeks and a lot of going back and forth. Let's just pray that God would uh, protect those traveling, that he... Uh, uh, grants us all health in, in the midst of all this and uh, it uh, kind of feels like we're coming to the end of this year and maybe it's more of just a mental reset than anything else but let's pray that uh, God allows us to uh, go into the new year strong and healthy and um, we're uh, looking forward to starting off a new year I think in, within, with that, there has been some, some talk of doing a uh, New Year's Eve get-together. I'm not sure all the particulars on that or how that will come together, but uh, keep that in mind, and especially those of you that are on our uh, Viber channel. If you're interested in doing something like that or have any ideas, uh, feel free to post them there. Are there any announcements I'm missing? All right, well, let's uh, just spend a moment in prayer before... Uh, Phil comes for the sermon. Thank you, Father, for this day that you have blessed us with, for this time that we can gather together. And we thank you that even during this time of remembering Jesus' birth, that I pray that in, in our minds and our hearts it would not stop with that, but that we would remember complete life and the sacrifice and the atonement that is there for our sins through that and that we can live new lives in you. We thank you and praise you for that this morning. I pray that you would uh, be with us here this morning, that you would open your word to us and speak to us through your word as uh, Phil shares it, and that we would be uh, blessed and encouraged by our time here this morning. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may turn your Bibles with me to 1 John, 
Thank you, by the way, praise team, for the effort for the ministry of song you give us so faithfully. Always speaks and ministers to my heart. It's a very important ministry, I find, in my life, is the ministry of song, of praise, which leads me into a spirit of worship. That's what I think of when I think of worship and being with all the heavenly hosts is singing praises to our God. And that's what David, King David thought of. That's why he spoke so much of it. Read through the Psalms. I was reading through Psalm 119. If you haven't done it lately, you should try it. Kneel down on your knees and just Pray Psalm 119 to the Lord. It's amazing. It's an amazing prayer of worship to our God. So thank you. The reason I'm going to 1 John is the Lord has been deeply impressing on my heart in the last week. And it's in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. These words, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe. Has everyone, anyone ever told you that? Hey, beloved. Hey, I love you. Don't believe. That's a good question. What does that mean? Let's keep reading. We'll see what it means. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many many false prophets have gone out into the world and in 2020 many false prophets have revealed themselves to the world and it seems in my short life span that I can recollect traumatic years like 2020. I remember very well as a teenager when the first, first Gulf War buildup began under President George Bush Sr. And the whole world came again. Together, it seemingly, most of the world came together with their armies to fight Saddam Hussein. And all oh, you should have seen the stack of books that were written that year, that those few months of this is the, the war to end all wars. And we were told Saddam Hussein had a million man army and, and he had, you know, ambitions of Hitler and greater and was definitely going to take over the Western world. And... It was amazing. And I remember as an 18, 19 year old boy reading some of these articles in the papers, Christian papers, publications, reading some of the books, and people said, Oh, this is the Battle of Armageddon, the end war. But it blew over in 100 hours. They called it the 100 hour war. Everyone went on back to their normal life. Saddam Hussein was suppressed for a while. 
And then I remember the year 2000. The year of the end of all years, the end of the century, you know, this was going to be in the, all the computers in the world were going to crash and every life as we knew it was going to come to a screeching halt. And many, many books again were written. And many Christians panicked. And all of a sudden began to fill their cellars with water and all kinds of things and the world went crazy. And I remember so well, Dad, Mom, you remember this, right? We were up on a hill where Sam and Liz lived, and we had the camcorder. And I actually still had this DVD disc. We had the camcorder out over the city of Fort Collins at midnight watching for the lights to go out. <laughs> Click, midnight, the lights kept on. They stayed on. And we all went home to bed. Got up the next day and went about our life. 9-11. Now some of you remember that, right? And all how life was going to change. A life did change in each of these events. Life did bring forth some change. I remember one week after, I think it was about a week after... The Twin Towers came down. I was due to fly to a church in Idaho. And I went down to DIA. And never before in my life had I seen an airport in the United States look like this. The National Guard was everywhere with machine guns. Almost every door marching through the hallways. The military was all over the place. And I was like, am I in the United States of America? And for the first time in my life, they began to pat us down. They didn't have all the x-ray machines that we now walk through. And it was, everything had changed when it came to flying from what I had grown up it to be. It did bring forth changes. And again, people said, oh, this is a sign of the end times. And now we're at 2020. Then the pandemic and again, many Christians have panicked and fight the changes and people express their opinions. Dearly beloved, do not believe every spirit. Many have gone out into the world. John penned these words to a church that was undergoing a big change in the Roman government. There was a lot of instability in the Roman government by this time. If you read history, there were a lot of uncertainties in the church. And many false prophets had gone out there and were trying to warn the church or, you know, become relevant, a relevant voice perhaps in the church. We don't know their motives, but we know this. Test the spirit to see whether they are of God. So how do we do that? Do you do that? Have you tested the spirits of this year? Because many books have been written and many voices are out there on the social media platforms and are speaking about things. Are you testing them? Or are you just taking it in? And if you are testing them, 
How are you testing them? With what are you testing them? To see whether they actually are of God or are false prophets. I want to show you three tests that the word of God tells us we must use to test false prophets. And if they fail, even one of these tests, a warning sign should come along on your heart. In my little pickup that I drive, when a car comes too close to me or pulls out in front of me or I get too close to something on my dash, there's a warning sign that comes on and a red light and it goes, warning, collision, possible, warning, warning, warning. It boop, boop, boop at me like that beeps at me that's what should happen in your heart in your conscience when one person sharing whatever they're sharing of their perspective that has the power to influence your heart and your relationship with God fails these three tests or any one of the three and I'll share with you out of the scriptures why the warning sign comes on because the Holy Spirit flashes the warning through his written word. We're going to see the first one, verse 2. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know. This is how you know. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now you might say, wow, okay, isn't that a general confession of Christianity? No, it's not. It may be a general profession, but not a general confession. There's a difference. You can profess of things that you will not confess. A confession is an inner personal experience expressed. A profession is just like a professor who is telling you about things he read and learned in a book. There's a big difference. A confession is something that is personally experienced. We use the word when we confess our sins, right? It's something I did I must tell you about. It's something I experienced that I must tell you about. That is what the meaning of the word confession is. And that's a much more personal, powerful, experiential, experiential word. It's called a testimony. And we'll show you what this, how and why this is so important to us. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Because... In Hebrews chapter 2, we read that Jesus Christ has come indeed in the flesh, and this is why. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, For it was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory... To perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. 
For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you confess that Jesus is your brother? Or do you only confess that he is God? You see many profess. They sing the songs we sang. He was born in a baby. They don't doubt it as a baby in a manger. They don't doubt it. They've been taught that all their life. They don't doubt that he grew up to be a man. They don't even doubt that he died on a cross. They don't doubt that he rose again. But that's about where it ends with their faith. Dead end road for personal experience. You can believe all of that and profess it and tell the world all of that truth and never call him brother for real. Never experience the relationship of a brother with Jesus. You see, when you experience the relationship of a brother, you sit together with them. You do things like you go to church together with them. I told Gerald, is it Jared or Gerald? Gerald. I told him this morning, I met him. I was like, I know you. I know your brother. I just your family. I feel like you know you because I know your brother. A brother relationship lets down all your guards, right? Your family. And you can be yourself and share your heart and know each other and love one another because you know each other so well. That's what a brother relationship should be anyway. Now, sin can come into those relationships and strain family relationships. And probably all of us have experienced that. Not only sin, but Jesus Christ does that too. He said, I have not come to make peace in one context, Jesus said, I came with a sword and the sword will divide between father and daughter and father and son and mother and daughter and daughter-in-laws and, and brother and sister. So sometimes obedience to Jesus Christ brings a division in a relationship. It divides earthly relationships. That's not sin. Jesus does that. But I'm not speaking of that. I'm speaking here of a brother relationship. And I ask you the question, is Jesus your brother for real? If he is not, then you do not confess he has come in the flesh. You might believe he was born as a baby, but this is what you don't believe about him. You don't confess because you don't experience Jesus like this. Let's read on. He's not ashamed to call them brethren, verse 11, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. And again, this is Jesus speaking. I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Now listen to these words. Since then the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same. Why? That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And I ask you, has Jesus rendered the devil powerless in your life? 
That's what my brother does for me. That's the reason I get to call him brother. Now Satan still roars like a lion. First Peter 5, he walks about like a roaring lion, but he is not a lion. He lost his power. He was a lion. Now he's not a lion. I like how John Bunyan in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, illustrates this truth. You like that, Steve? Christian is coming alongside the road. And it's a very narrow road, as I recall. And I may have my details a bit off here, but I'm just sharing it to you as it comes to my mind. And all of a sudden, he comes to this place where the road narrows. And on the side of the road, on either side, there are two lions. And they're roaring. Now, I don't know what you would do if you were there on a real narrow mountain path. And all of a sudden, two big male lions, well, one on either side. Would you stop for a moment and go, <gasps> if you heard him roar? How many of you heard a lion roar, big male lion roar in the zoo? Not too long ago. Well, it's been maybe a couple years now, right, boys? That... That's right. The animal sanctuary down here in Hudson. And they had us deliver a shed right into the lion's pen. And all that separated us from these big male lions was a fence. A big tall fence, but we were right on the opposite side of the fence. And these big male lions didn't really like my truck coming into their territory. And they walked like this back and forth in the fence. Then they got bored. First they roared. Yeah, they got bored with us pretty soon. But first they were checking us out. You know, something like that. Trying to illustrate it. But you would have to be there. It kind of sounded like thunder. And I, there's something about a male lion's roar just makes the shivers go up and down your spine. I mean, when they're right on the opposite side of the fence, it feels like with one bite they could cut you in half. Maybe they could. I don't know. Many Christians were fed to lions and died that way for the name of Jesus Christ. The devil has a roar like a lion. But he's powerless. Christian at first, in John Bunyan's illustration, stopped. And fear gripped his heart. And then someone told him, keep walking. The lions are chained and they have no teeth. They're harmless. They only roar. Because they're seeking to scare you. That's the devil. That's what Jesus does to the devil. Now, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, there is no one to tell you that you have no need to fear. You will be certainly afraid of Satan and his, his roaring in your life. And he does roar. And he roars through the power of sin in your flesh. He roars in lust of your flesh. He roars with the pride of life. He roars in your mind with discouragement and depression. He roars all the time. But Jesus, if you have the relationship with Jesus, that he's your brother and he has come in the flesh, and you confess that, he will come right beside you as your big brother. 
He'll say, follow me. Alliance won't touch you. That's what Daniel experienced in the lion's den. He was in the lion's den. And the lions were for real. But they didn't eat Daniel. Why not? The other people who were thrown in after that were torn to pieces before they ever hit the ground, it tells us. Why didn't they eat Daniel? Can someone tell me? There was an angel because the presence of God rendered them powerless. Dear brother, sister, if you haven't personally experienced Jesus rendering Satan powerless in your life, and you're believing a spirit that is not from God, and you have a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity in your life, test that spirit. Any spirit that comes into the world that gives you a spirit of fear is not from God. First Timothy tells us, chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. That's the spirit that we must test every spirit with. This confession that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he took on my flesh and blood to render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. All their lives. They were subject. They were slaves to fear. Are you a slave to fear? Then you still need to experience Jesus Christ in the flesh. Relating to you. Dealing with my flesh and blood. You see, I can relate. I can believe Jesus is God. But if I don't believe that he came in the flesh and was a man and dealt with the same flesh that I deal with, I will be discouraged many times in my life. Because I'll feel lonely like no one can relate to me. But since Jesus came in the flesh, this is what he did. This is what he does. Listen to this. Verse 16, for assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, why? Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Has Jesus truly forgiven all your sins? Have you been set free from all guilt? Or are you still carrying some guilt on your conscience when you come before God? Then you need to come to Jesus Christ and experience that he coming in the flesh was made a faithful and merciful. That word merciful is also the word an understanding man, an understanding high priest. Look what it says. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those tempted. He's able to help you. So if you're lonely, my dear brother, sister, in temptation, 
If you're lonely there, you most always will fail. Because that's how the devil gets us to fail. He makes us lonely in temptation. He makes us feel like we're the only one in the world who struggles with this thing. Like no one else can really relate. And if you don't experience Jesus there, not just Jesus up in the heavens, but Jesus in flesh and blood as your brother saying, listen, I've been here. Follow me. I can lead you through this experience. I can relate to you. I know exactly how you feel. And there's a way out. Trust me. Take my hand. And when you hear Jesus say those words into your heart. And you experience the power of Jesus' love. And the comfort and the forgiveness of your sins at that moment with a man who is God, who has the rightful authority to actually help you out, and he knows the way out and can relate to you, you'll get up and go out. Because there's no reason for you to stay. He takes away all reason for you to stay in the dumps. Because you're not lonely anymore. You see, when I'm in the dumps, I like my cave. Just let me alone, please. Right? Isn't that what we like? When we want to pity ourselves and we feel we're kicking ourselves about something, we just want to go under the covers, put the pillow over my head, and shut the door, please. Don't talk to me. I like my little cave. But Jesus takes all excuses out because he comes into our cave. And he starts sharing with us his words of eternal life. And so, if you're living in a cave of discouragement, dear brother, sister, Jesus has come in the flesh. And if you hear anyone teaching you anything that goes against this relationship that Jesus came and died for, he's a false liar. Don't listen to it. Don't read the book. Don't yield to it even for an hour. I like how Apostle Paul said that in Acts 15. Those guys were out there, the Judaizers, trying to convince people they still needed to be circumcised, even though they had their faith in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins. And Paul said, we didn't give it. We didn't listen to him even for one hour. No, I wouldn't listen to it because they were false. The first test of every book you read, of every voice you listen to, must pass this test, or they are false liars. And they'll destroy your life. They'll bring discouragement. That voice will bring discouragement to you. It'll bring all kinds of fear into your life, and insecurity, and anxiety, and all kinds of worry, and it'll lead you away from Jesus. Christ and his word. The second test. Go back to 1 John with me. 1 John chapter 4. He continues to test them right here with his words to us. Let's read on. You are, verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who's greater? 
Satan or God in your life? Are you scared of sinners? You know how many Christians I've spoken to who are scared of their in-law's house because they got TV or she's a witch or all kinds of a fear of evil. And the fear of evil controls what they do. And so I, they walk around, as I call it, guarded defensive Christians. They become really strong with the shield of faith. I don't believe that, and I don't believe this, and I don't believe that, and I don't believe that. That's what you hear coming out of their mouth. What they don't believe. But you know what you don't hear them confessing is what they do believe. And I ask them this question. I've done this many times. And it's always a challenging question to my heart. What would Jesus do? Would he walk into that house and be afraid? Who would be afraid if Jesus walks into your mother-in-law's room with you, who's a witch? Who would be afraid? Who was afraid when Jesus was in the church, in the synagogue, teaching? Who screamed in fear? The demons. They cried out in fear wherever Jesus went. Jesus never even once was afraid of any demon. And yet, we live in a Christendom who is afraid of demons. Because we're still subject as slaves to the spirit of fear and death. We haven't been totally released from that. We need to draw closer to God and to Jesus as our brother and believe with all our heart and to test every spirit with this truth that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he is my brother and he delivers me from the power of death. And he really for real does. The fear is gone. And guess who fears now? The devil is afraid of you. Is the devil afraid of you? Do you speak back to the devil? Or do you cower and run from him? A.W. Tozer wrote a book. I speak back to the devil. You should read it. It's along these lines. To encourage us as Christians. To take a stand and be offensive with the gospel. You know why we're so weak? Because our sword hand is weak. In the mind. Our mind is weak with the word of Christ. The word of God that is our sword. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us. Taking the sword. The word of God. That's how Jesus destroyed the devil's arguments. When he tempted him. He destroyed his arguments through the word of God. Even when the devil used the word of God. Jesus said, but it is also written. And he thrust it back at him. Every time. Don't try to win an argument with the devil any other way. You'll lose. This is the second test. I must keep on going. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So my question is, who are you listening to? Ah, oh. you know how many Christians listen? Probably 
99% of their listening is to the world. They listen to the world on the radio. They listen to the world on TV. They listen to the world on social media. They're listening to the world. That's my honest boy right there. I do listen to the news sometimes. But who are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? All that God's people would have their ears tuned to the voice of Jesus. Every day. To hear his voice. And be guided by his voice through their everyday experience. It would solve a hundred lesser evils, as A.W. Tozer says. A hundred lesser evils would be just put out in your life. If you heard the voice of Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow my call. That's how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Who are you listening to? And you know what? You're a dead giveaway. Don't blame anybody else for who you listen to. You're a dead giveaway. Don't try to fool anybody. You know, as they say, you can remain quiet and be thought a fool. It's better to do that than to open your mouth and convince everybody you are a fool. Well, Proverbs says it this way. Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is esteemed as wise. What do you talk about? You talk about what you listen to. You do. We do. We talk about what we listen to. Because it enters into our heart. And it causes our hearts to either be anxious or peaceful. It causes our hearts to stress out or be full of joy. It causes our hearts to sing for joy in the morning or get up depressed and slug our way through the day. Our hearts reveal who we listen to. Even if you're disciplined, a disciplined fool, your heart guides your attitude. Your heart guides your attitude. And you'll have the attitude of who you listen to. And so Philippians chapter 2 tells us, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The attitude of Jesus Christ in every circumstance. He did come in the flesh. But the second real test is this. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm beating around the bush. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God was revealed or manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved if God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. 
By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides, dwells in him. By this, love is perfected in us. It continues to be perfected. It's not moment perfected. It continues to grow in us. That we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Second test. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. That's it. Don't listen to a liar. You'll be fooled. And there are many voices, false prophets, who are out there saying, I love God, I love God. But they divorce their wives. They hate their children. They hate the church. There's bitterness and anger towards their brethren in the church. I didn't say hurt. I said bitterness and anger. Unforgiveness. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if you hear a voice speaking off great sounding words, preaching the word of God in eloquent ways, giving you prophecies, test them by how they love their brethren. Test them. Test them with this love, the way that God defines love. And this is so important in a world that we live in who has defined love as feelings. We live in a false love world. So test it with the word of God's love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Is he a patient man or impatient with others? Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. See a guy that brags about himself all the time? He's not made perfect in love. Be careful. He's not arrogant. This is what love is, God says. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into an account a wrong suffered. You can do him a lot of wrong and he'll turn the other cheek continually. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
But that doesn't really impress us that much. You know what does impress us? If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, now that's impressive. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, thousands will flock to those men and listen to them and read their books. Because we like knowledge and mysteries. If I have faith to remove a mountain, wouldn't that impress you? Oh, yeah, it would. We'd flock to hear that guy. He had so much faith, he moved Mount Ariat. Okay. Are you serious? Did that actually? Yes, I did. Go over there and look. And the mountain is gone. Wouldn't you be impressed with that guy? I had that much faith. And you'd be like, tell me how you got that faith. Wouldn't you? If you don't believe this, just stop and look at the masses of Christians that are following faith healers. They follow their faith. But look at their life and test them by how they love. You may find many of them false prophets. Liars. Test them by their love. So first, test them whether they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Secondly, test them by their love. Not by their faith, not by their knowledge and eloquent speeches. You know, Apostle Paul must have been a real boring guy. Long-winded too. Guy fell out the window and took him as dead. Preached all night one time. Corinthians, who liked mysteries and knowledge, said, he's just plain boring. Do you find Apostle Paul boring too? Are you sure about that? How many of you listen regularly to him preaching? Have you read Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians? Those are his sermons. Or do you listen to him once in a while? He's pretty boring. Hard to understand, Peter even said. The test of love is so great that in the church of Ephesus... In Revelation chapter 2, Paul said, John said, through the Holy Spirit, You have done all these things well. You've even tested the false prophets and found them liars. But unless you repent and come back to your first love, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave, Jesus said. I can't stay where there isn't love. He won't stay in your heart. If we don't repent, come back to our first love. He won't stay in our homes if we don't love one another. And he won't stay in our church if we don't love one another. That's what he said. You'll find us liars. And quickly on the third test, and this should only take like five minutes. But I encourage you to go through these yourself. Take time. Go through these. Study them. Because they are very important. Your life hinges on these three tests. 
You'll be influenced with many voices. But if you just use these three, there are others, but use these three main tests that I find in the word of God. You'll be left with very few teachers in your life. Primarily one. Who would that be? Matthew 23. Call no man your teacher. Who are you calling your teacher? Is he actually your teacher for real? Or do you just call him that? If a student calls me a teacher. But I don't actually teach him. What kind of relationship is that? I'm not really his teacher. I might be a teacher. But I'm not his teacher. He's not learning anything from me. Colossians tells us. But you have not learned Christ this way. We must learn Christ. You have one teacher. His name is Jesus. Matthew 15. Then some, verse 1, some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. I give my honor to God. I don't need to honor my parents. Have you heard that? Oh, I bet you did. I heard it plenty of times. And many in Christianity, in cults for sure, they'll tell you that. You must hate your father and mother and love God. They'll quote those words that Jesus said. They won't balance it with this truth. That's what they were saying. Oh, whatever I should have helped you, I just give it to God. Jesus said, and thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your traditions. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me. They do worship, but it profits them nothing. It's vain, useless. Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And we live in a Christianity and in a world where many men, I've done it and I had to repent from it. Many men teach their own precepts, their own convictions as doctrines of God. But they're not. They're not. The Bible doesn't say so. Go find out. Test what they say by the written scripture. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And you'll test many, many teachers. Test me. And if you find me taking my personal experience, my personal conviction, and beginning to teach it as a doctrine of God, you should call me on it. I need you to do that. Because we're all prone to this. Because when the Lord gives us a personal conviction, let's say it might be music, or dress, or some, you know, I'm not going to have TV, or I'm not going to listen to that music. We all have these personal convictions, and they're necessary. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, We were among you as men full of conviction. 
The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he makes it practical. And he says, don't say that. Don't do that. Follow me this way. But if we begin to teach that as doctrines of God, and they're not written in the word of God, we lay burdens on people that God didn't say in his word. It becomes very dangerous because the focus shifts from Christ as the teacher to man-made principles. And they bind people's conscience to man's laws, men's interpretation of scripture rather than the raw scripture itself. You'll be fooled. I was for many years. And that's a tough one. Because these men are spiritual and they take scripture and they entwine it. You know, I get my convictions from scripture. Let me read this verse to you and now tell you what it means. Don't let them tell you what it means. You read it and get revelation from Jesus for you of what it means. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And here's the shift of focus that will fool you. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. That's what defiles you. The focus begins in outward Christianity. The things you do, the things you eat, the things you don't eat. And that begins to define your spirituality. And you know what gets ignored? This. Do you not understand in verse 17 that that goes, that everything goes into the mouth, passes through the stomach and is eliminated. But the things that proceed out of the mouth from the heart, those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders and adulterers, fornications, thefts, faultlessness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. The outward focus of spirituality versus the inward focus. That shift will fool even the best of us unless we test it with scripture. So be careful. Many voices have gone out, but you can use these three tests in your life. And you'll eliminate much false teaching and much deception and confusion in your own heart. First, you test them by the relationship of Jesus Christ as a personal brother. And he renders powerless the spirit of fear and of death in my life. Secondly, how they love one another. How they are secure in their father's love and pass that on to others. And thirdly, where their focus is. Do they preach and focus on an outward Christianity? The do's and don'ts, or do they preach 